Policy Beyond Politics, a weekly podcast series by Center for Public Policy Research, where we bring to you podcasts with insightful discussions and newer perspectives on a wide range of topics of contemporary relevance, with experts to discuss, deconstruct, and advocate for things that matter. Podcast episodes of Policy Beyond Politics by CPPR are on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and on cppr.in. This is Neelima, a research associate at CPPR. Today, we are joined by Dr. Monish Tarambam from Delhi. Dr. Monish Tarambam currently teaches at the Amity Institute of International Studies, Amity University, Noida, India. He is also the honorary director of Kalinga Institute of Indo-Pacific Studies and associated editor of the Indian Foreign Affairs Journal. Welcome, sir, to the podcast. At an age characterized by geopolitical flux and progressing elements of warfare, the case of the Chinese surveillance balloons shed light on the fragility of the relationship between Washington and Beijing. To add to this, with Sino-India relations already lurking in the murky waters, there is an urgent call for the identification, countering and addressing of emerging threats, especially in the gray zone. The surveillance balloon also echoes a political message from Beijing regarding its capabilities and progress on the international stage. This calls to attention possible future implications and efficacy of AI-powered balloons within foreign airspace. This podcast will seek to address the Chinese surveillance balloon in the context of trespassing foreign airspace and political and security overtones alongside its implications for US, China, India, and the international stage. Sir, in this regard, what do you think are the implications for the already strained U.S.-China relationship? Do we envision a snowball effect spilling over to other sectors of the bilateral relationship? Thank you, Nilima. Uh, you know, very broad-based and uh, I think a pertinent question to start the podcast and the discussion with. Um, and I'll frame it this way, that uh, this balloon gate or whatever they're calling it, or uh, you know the tension that has risen over this uh, shooting down of the Chinese balloon by uh, you know uh, by the by the United States uh, comes at an comes at an inflection point uh, in great power relations. Um, I think we need to see this in a broader perspective. Of course, as you pointed out in your question, uh, and is I think. Um, common knowledge to anyone with a cursory knowledge of uh, contemporary world affairs that the US-China relationship has been on a uh, downward slide for some time. And uh, given the nature of the relationship, of course, this downward slide uh, has a consequence for the international system and also uh, in how uh, a lot of other countries, including India itself, uh, looks at this uh, bilateral relationship and its ramifications, right? Um, so I think, you know, there is a moment in great power relations where I would say America, uh, America's ability to shape political outcomes um, across the world uh, stands a little, you know, circumscri- circumscribed. Um, it's under scrutiny. Um, not to say that the US is not the preeminent power right now. It is the preeminent power. But I think it's passing a phase in the life of a great power where its ability to affect political outcomes uh, in the international system, you know, 
at least faces some challenges. Uh, you know, not, and, and their primary challenge, as the Americans have pointed out in their national defense strategy and as well as the national security strategy, uh, comes primarily from uh, the People's Republic of China. Um, it's the strategic challenge that they have acknowledged, um, something that they would have to deal with in a long-term basis, and something that they have to deal with uh, also in a multifaceted fashion, which is uh, to say that you know it's political, it's economic, uh, it's uh, it's it's technological, uh, it's a whole lot of things, right? Uh, the, you know the kind of uh, issue areas that this relationship. Uh, covers it's it's quite wide, uh, and I think um, you know it's it's structural. It's structural in the sense that um, you know you you have a United States which uh, not threatened but feels uneasy about the shifting balance of power, uh, and we know where this power is shifting. We have a China which uh, seems more emboldened, uh, seems more aggressive, assertive. Uh, in its aspirations to, uh, you know, to, to, to be at the same stage or at the peer stage with the United States. So I think there are a lot of backgrounds, background reasons to why this uh, relationship has spiraled down to a large extent. As I said, it's, uh, the, you know, the, the background is more structural. Um, there is a shift of balance of power. And I think the U.S. is feeling the hit of that. The Chinese are much more, I think, anxious. I will use that word anxious uh, in terms of proving its metal in the international system. In the, in the framework of this, we have to also understand that, uh, you know, the Ukraine war has completed a year now, right now, and you see all the newsreels sort of talking about Joe Biden's uh, visit in Kiev. Uh, so U.S.-Russia tension is also at a new low, right? Uh, U.S.-China relationship seems to be at a new high <laughs> compared to the new low in U.S.-Russia tension. Even as the Ukraine war broke out, we saw the Russians and the Chinese sort of like talking about an unlimited, uh, you know, a partnership without limits. Uh, as the Ukraine war completes a year, we also see a dynamism, a change in arms control future. You know, there's already a short hanging over uh, the future of arms control in terms of, uh, you know, what is going to be the replacement for the new start uh, arrangement between the Russians and the Americans. Uh, the Russians and Americans have already abrogated the Intermediate uh, Nuclear Forces Treaty, the INF Treaty. And, you know, in the midst of this, you also have a widespread technological disruption, right? Uh, you have developments in artificial intelligence. I mean, what you are seeing in the balloon gate is also a part and partial of this technology debate, right? The use of technology and its evolution and its developments in, in, in all forms of like strategic support uh, to in country to country competition, right? So I think the relationship is passing through this gamut of like issue areas, which, uh, which, which sees this continuity in terms of great power rivalry, but there are also these new issue areas which 
you can't look back at the old Cold War and say that, okay, you know, the, the old Cold War has every uh, chapter in the book that we can learn from in terms of adapting to the new Cold War, right? You know, if I may say so, the new Cold War. And then there are these new elements in this uh, great power rivalry that is developing between US and China. And I think technology is a big part of that, right? You know, uh, the kind of technologies that were not prevalent uh, in the yesteryear, we are going to see that, we are going to see the disruptions caused by those technology. And to sort of sum up this answer, I think it's also important to note that um, you know, there have been efforts as the balloon gate is developing, there have been efforts between uh, Anthony Blinken and Wangi uh, to sort of like start communication between the United States and China without much of a positive result. Uh, if you see the statements that came out from both the sides, you see this uh, wide gap in terms of how they see this uh, balloon saga, you know. On the other hand, the United States of course, is calling out Chinese behavior in terms of uh, infringement on sovereignty and you know lack of respect for international law and all those things. On the other hand, uh, the Chinese are calling out America's behavior as uh, you know a kind of an overreaction to what they call as a balloon, which is meant for scientific meteorological reasons. Um, so I think it's interesting to point out at this point that. The balloon get the balloon saga came at a time when um, you were hearing a lot of voices from both the sides, from United States and China. Uh, of course, Anthony Blinken had to cancel his uh, Beijing visit. Uh, you, you were hearing a lot of voices from both the sides in terms of like what they call as setting the guardrails in the relationship, in the sense that uh, how this competition will be there, but this competition has to be regulated, you know, has to be managed. Uh, so that it doesn't sort of like, you know, derail beyond a point, right? So I think it comes at a very interesting moment in the history of US-China relationship, whereby this effort to sort of like bring some amount of predictability and certainty into the relationship, bring some amount of guardrails into the relationship, bring some amount of uh, regulation of the competition in the relationship, leads, you know, happens at a time when such, again, inadvertent, sort of accidents, it may, if you may call so. Although uh, if the Chinese were really intent on, for example, collecting intelligence in the near space region uh, in the United States, uh, you, you, you could not really call it uh, an inadvertent you know, incident. Uh, in that case, the Chinese had an intention of using the balloon for military purpose. Uh, and in that case, uh, the United States could justify its action in terms of uh, hitting down the balloon. So I think uh, this is how I would put it, uh, that uh, you know, it comes at an inflection point in great power relation. It comes at a time when the US-China uh, the US-China relationship is on a downward, downward spiral, at a time when the US-Russia tension hits a new low, at a time when US-Russia, uh, sorry, Russia-China relationship hits a new high. And I think it's uh, uh, important for a country like India, which wants to maintain its autonomy in terms of decision making, which wants to maintain its, uh, you know, balancing act in, uh, in this uh, great power dynamics. I think it's very important for us to watch the developments and uh, carefully sort of like uh, develop, uh, you know, um, our foreign policy dexterity in this, uh, in this case. Right? 
Yeah, thank you, sir. So as a follow up to this, uh, what do you think uh, in terms of a great power rivalry? Uh, what are the implications for a larger geopolitical landscape? Okay, uh, you know, I just, I just like uh, follow it up from uh, what I answered in the previous uh, question, uh, which is that the US-China relationship and the great power rivalry that we are talking about, you know, it's happening at a, happening at a time when we are largely also sort of questioning the current world order, right? What is the, what is the power configuration of the world order? What is the nature of the world order? And what kind of geopolitical developments are um, emerging in this case, right? Uh, one of the first things that I would like to sort of like put it across is that uh, there is kind of a flux in how we are seeing the world order in the sense that uh, it's no longer, certainly no longer, a, uh, no, not a bipolar order uh, as of now. It's no longer a unipolar order. But even as we talk about a coming, emerging multipolar world order, I do not see uh, that multipolar world order really being crystallized and realize in the true sense, right? Uh, there, is, uh, there is a sense of uncertainty in how uh, that order is developing. We also saw, you know, a lot of countries, including India, were very apprehensive of US and China uh, going closer and then starting to sort of like uh, recognize each other's um, power parameters and hence developing what they call as a power condominium, uh, also called a G2. So in that sense, many of the emerging uh, powers of the world uh, were very apprehensive or still are very apprehensive of uh, the, multi, the emerging multi-order world order sort of like dying before it is even realized, right? Um, you know, even as we talk about it, uh, because if there was a greater understanding and a new great power relationship between the US and the United States and China, then there are possibilities or of having a power condominium, a G2, which is which would be at the expense of uh, the realization of the multipolar world order. So I think you know we are all passing through a time where there's a lot of uncertainty in the shift of this power, right? The Ukraine crisis has upended the European security order to a large extent, uh, raising a lot of questions about um, the future of America's relationship and the future of NATO and the future of the larger Western world. Also sort of like, you know, overwhelming this uh, continuing debate, for instance, on the Indo-Pacific. So it came at a time when European countries were also sort of like reorienting their strategy towards the Indo-Pacific. So a lot of European countries, France in particular, and also the European Union in particular, they were reorienting their strategies towards the Indo-Pacific. America was sort of like winding down its Afghanistan war after 20 long years and finally was sort of like showing this intention that, oh, we are ready now for facing the Chinese onslaught in the Indo-Pacific. So when the Ukraine war came, it introduced a new sort of a theater, right? it introduced a new theater of attention for the United States and, 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 its, and its close Atlantic partners. And this uh, war still continues, even as talk about the Ukraine anniversary, the war is still not over. It's still, you know, it's still out there. On the other hand, um, the Ukraine war, the Indo-Pacific debate in terms of uh, China's 
China's um, you know intentions and China's rising assertiveness also comes at a time when the nature of great power rivalry it's not so similar to the one that we saw during the Cold War. You know, in the sense that if you were sort of to ask a lot of Southeast Asian countries about their stance on China, uh, it's a very complex stance because most of these countries have highest uh, you know, trade turnovers with China. You look at Europe, despite the skepticism and its part security partnership with the United States, and despite the skepticism regarding China's uh, security approach, a lot of European countries and including European Union as the institution, you know, it's more complex in its approach towards China itself. You have, like, you have very successful uh, EU-China summit, for instance, and the economic sort of connection between European Union and China is pretty strong. And I think we can go from region to region around the world and talk about this economic interdependence that Chinese economic rise has created. And the kind of complexity that it has brought in, you know, which is no longer like a very black and white sort of a thing as it was seen during the Cold War, where you know you are either with the United States or your Soviet Union, or uh, you have an unaligned sort of a approach. Uh, it was, I mean, there was more sort of like you know lines drawn, right, about partnerships and alliances. Uh, what we are seeing is a much more complex permutation and combination. Uh, whereby a lot of countries, even in South Asia, for instance, right, you pick up many of India's neighbors and talk to them about China, you'll find very, very complex answers, right? Nobody is going to really call out Chinese behavior. Uh, you know, so you see a lot of countries which are very wary about China's military uh, activities, but still would not sort of call out China because of its economic interactions with those countries, right? So I think even as we talk about this new tension, right, new spiraling tension between the United States and China, and I think that the balloon saga is just one of them. And it's not the last one even. You know, we are going to see many more such incidents whether it is in American airspace, whether it is in, uh, it's, it's in the Indo-Pacific, um, and it's going to be all domain, right? It's going to be all domain in the sense that it's going to be in the sea, it's going to be in land, it's going to be in the air, uh, it's going to be in the cyberspace more and more with uh, development of both offensive and defensive capabilities uh, between, uh, you know, uh, between US and China. What we are seeing in the balloon, um, you know, the tension over the balloon shoot, uh, flying over uh, U.S. airspace and the United States sort of like shooting it down, uh, which is part and partial, again, of an intelligence war, right? So uh, an intelligence war is also developing. Now, uh, foreign objects, whether of military purpose or civilian purpose or questionable purpose, uh, flying over... Um, others' airspaces in order to collect intelligence, you know, has been going on for always, right? You have a case of uh, Francis Gay Powers for uh, flight being shot down in Soviet territory during the Cold War. So that was an American intelligence uh, collection uh, mechanism, right? So likewise, uh, you are going to see a lot of this kind of incidents in the future, you know, and, and it's going to be seen across the domain, right? It's not just going to be 
uh, near space region, or uh, it's not just going to be uh, integrated aerospace operations, as they call it. More and more, this kind of things happen. The Americans are going to consider this as a domain awareness gap in their ability to sort of like uh, locate such, um, such objects uh, near their territory. Uh, the Chinese, for example, has accused the Americans of always doing this kind of stuff, right? Uh, there are a lot of reports of now of Chinese balloons, for example, hovering around the territories of other countries also, including as this balloon Sega was shooting up, I think there were a lot of reports about Chinese balloons sort of hovering over the um, under, uh, you know, Andaman and Nicobar Islands in India, right? I think, uh, one, the geopolitical environment is much more complex than it was during the Cold War. Uh, the kind of power that China is very different from the kind of power that the Soviet Union was. It's uh, Chinese comprehensive national power is much more broad based than the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was a first class military power, but perhaps not a first class uh, economic power. The Chinese comprehensive national power is much more broad based, broad based right? It's, in, it's, it's, uh, it's the number two economy in the world. Uh, its military modernization is uh, fast sort of like slowing, uh, you know, narrowing the gap, uh, especially in areas like outer space and uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, so I think, you know, you are going to see a lot of uh, this kind of incidents happening, uh, not just in one domain, but across the domain in air, land, sea, cyberspace, whatnot, right? So it's just, uh, I think we should be, uh, as scholars of international relations that looks at uh, great power rivalry and its implications for our own country and for the region as such. I think we should uh, keep our eyes open, ears open in terms of trying to understand such kind of incidents, uh, not just in the format of, uh, you know, uh, 24 hours news reels and all those things, but trying to understand the broader geopolitical context, you know, trying to understand, uh, trying to put this kind of incidents in a broader, uh, you know, geopolitical picture and trying to you know, trying to figure out where it's where is it going, and I think uh, this is one component, one part uh, of a relationship, uh, which, despite both countries, I think making efforts to uh, regulate and manage, you know, you are going to find such incidents which seems to take the relationship just off the edge, you know, and whether the Americans and Chinese are going to sit down and then pull it back from the edge, and then put it in the right. Uh, you know, in the in in a manageable sort of a uh, uh, you know condition, uh, I think we have to wait and uh, Yeah, yes, sir. Uh, so as you have mentioned uh, in the reports, uh, there are reports which says that the balloon saga is not only over America; it has been over several other countries as well. So uh, it has also told that. It, uh, the balloon saga has been over Andaman and Nicobar Islands in India as well. So do, what do you think are the implications for India in leveraging its tech prowess in countering China's influence? Hmm. That's a good question, but a very difficult question to answer. <laughs> uh, but I'll try uh, in a broader uh, context. See, I think, again, uh, if we uh, look at uh, threat perceptions from India's point of view, of course, China is a country with which we have a fundamental dispute. We have an unresolved border dispute. We have seen a lot of excessive, uh, aggressive activities by uh, Chinese forces uh, at the line of actual control. And it is such kind of irresponsible behavior from the People's Republic of China that has sort of derailed 
this relationship to a large extent, despite I think India, you know, always sort of like reaching out to China in terms of setting the framework for a more manageable sort of like uh, fruitful relationship. I think again, it is all um, the threat is across the domain, uh, as I mentioned in my earlier comment. You are going to see threats uh, in the maritime domain uh, in the Indian Ocean region, um, and we, uh, you know. Uh, depending on the kind of relationships that the Chinese have been able to develop with Indian Ocean littoral countries, whether it's Sri Lanka or Bangladesh um, or Maldives, uh, what kind of relationships do they have and uh, what is the leverage that China can, uh, you know, to what extent China can leverage this relationship for its uh, dual civil military purposes, right? Now, I'm using the dual word because uh, much of the discussion on the balloon saga has also sort of like featured around this gray zone, uh, you know, kind of tactics, featured around uh, this very complex civil military fusion uh, as far as PLA's activities are concerned. And, uh, you know, the balloon is just one of them. Uh, you have reports on, for instance, uh, the maritime militia where Chinese uh, fishing vessels, which are not military, vessels, uh, fishing vessels, uh, could also be or uh, used as eyes of the PLA, for example, in the sea. Likewise, what you are seeing in the case of the balloon is also, the balloon is an eye in the sky, right? It's, it's, it's a part of ISR activities, it's part of intelligence, you know, surveillance, reconnaissance, right? So you're going to see that, for example, in the maritime domain, you know, Chinese uh, submarines uh, are already or you know are already entering the Indian Ocean in some way or the other, which means that India uh, needs to sort of like beef up its anti-submarine warfare capabilities. And in this aspect, India's partnership with other naval powers is going to be very important in terms of not only creating interoperability but also in terms of <clears throat> to what extent India can acquire. Uh, new technologies uh, from its partner countries. Uh, the United States has been a partner country in terms of beefing up uh, India's capabilities as far as uh, increasing maritime domain awareness is concerned. So again, I'm coming to the domain awareness gap. So this is going to be a question of domain awareness gap, that uh, how do we close this gap? You know, ability, for example, to spot, to uh, locate any sort of like infringement on India's uh, sovereignty or India's territory, whether it is in the maritime domain or whether it is in the territorial nature, it's, it's in the continental domain, right? Or whether it's in the form of using the near space region, uh, which the Chinese have been doing using the near space region through what they call as integrated aerospace operations, uh, whether through like high, like through high flying objects, which includes balloons. Uh, in some case, uh, balloon is a low, you know, low speed, high flying object. Uh, you also have high high speed flying objects in the form of re-entry, re-entry gliders and all those things. Uh, so I think we have to be on the lookout for this new technological evolutions and the ability of the uh, the ability of the People's Republic of China to uh, to to uh, sort of intrude uh, and eavesdrop and collect intelligence. Uh, on uh, uh, in India's maritime uh, airspace as well as the land domain. And I think uh, India should, uh, I think it's going to be uh, an important consideration 
uh, of uh, you know of the part of our military modernization and understanding this civil military fusion right the gray zone area that we keep talking about and to what extent um, you know india will be able to uh, develop its capabilities on its own and to what extent uh, we we will be partnering with other like minded countries uh, in order to sort of uh, you know deny such chinese activities that may be detrimental to our national security uh, so i think it's going to be a combination of how uh, to what extent uh, we are able to develop capabilities uh, develop technologies and develop the deployment of those technologies in real time uh, in all the domains uh, on our own um, and in to what extent we might have to depend on technology acquisition uh, from partner countries uh, in what context also in terms of not only uh, acquiring of technologies but to what extent groups like for instance the quad uh or uh, many of these partner countries uh, what is the level of our uh intelligence cooperation with this with those countries essentially here you're going to talk about counter intelligence right how do you counter chinese ability to collect intelligence from you that's counter intelligence so in uh in in sort of like uh, you know beefing up our counter intelligence activities and our capabilities Uh, to what extent we can go along and uh, become more or less sort of self-reliant and to what extent uh, we have to depend on partnering with other countries which have similar concerns about chinese activities and would be in a better position and would be willing to partner with india in terms of supplying of technologies also in terms of uh, joint counter intelligence operations uh, you know whether it's in the indian ocean or uh, whether it's in the land domain or you know uh, whether it's in terms of making sure that chinese uh, mit, uh chinese objects uh, you know are not necessarily hovering over indian airspace and uh, trying to collect intelligence so i think um, at the end it's going to be uh, about capability development about technology uh, development and acquisition and about how fast and real time you can deploy those technologies Uh, with real time implementation uh, for uh, safeguarding of india's national security yes sir so i think uh, there is a larger shift in the balance of power right now and uh, we are passing through a time where a lot of uncertainty exists and uh, we are yet to witness such more events in the future as well and also how india should develop its capability and technology in terms of this joining with the partner countries etc So thanks Dr Munish Tarambam for joining us today and sharing your thoughts with that we have come to the end of this episode of our podcast policy beyond politics we'll be back with another thought provoking and interesting topic next week till then bye listen to our podcast episodes of policy beyond politics on spotify amazon music google podcast apple podcast and on cppr.in